Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So today we're going to continue in our, our conversation in the book of Galatians. My message today has a lot to do with that song we sang, the, the Power of the Cross, because we're going to be talking about being crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And it's interesting, if you take a look at the uh, books of the Bible, often what we try to do in a book of a Bible is we try to pick out one verse that kind of, if, if there's any one verse in the entire book that kind of tells us the special message, that summarizes what the book is about, um, we try to pick that one verse. And in Galatians, it would be Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which is our message for today, to be crucified with Christ. Um, you know, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Galatians, and we've been talking about it. And, and remember, Galatians was a church that had both Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. And that's important because as the church grew and as the Gentiles were added to it, we know that we talked about there were people that uh, felt that it was great for the Gentiles to understand that Jesus was the Messiah, but they wanted them to become Jewish as well. These were Jews, Jewish Pharisees, and they were good. A lot of times, where they were well-meaning, but Paul was very adamant that it that was the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the grace that was given to us that forgave our sins, and that we weren't to add anything to it. We were not to add to that. Um, as some of these Judaizers wanted to do. And that was the name of the group, the Judaizers. Now, last week, uh, there was a verse that I wanted to get to, and I forgot to get to it, so I have it this week. And it's verse 14 from last week, and, I, and you'll see why I wanted to make sure we had it. Verse 14 from last week said, But when I saw that they were not, straight, they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Now, in this translation, <coughs> excuse me, in this translation, to live as Jews is actually one Greek word. To live as Jews is one Greek word, and the, group, the Greek word is eudiazo. Judaizo. Sounds like Judaizers, okay? And this is where we get the word Judaizers because that's actually the translation. Is why, if you live like Gentiles, when the Gentiles are around, why do you insist that the Gentiles become like Jews? They live like Jews. They Judaize, okay? And this is the point. This is the point that, that Paul and was making last week. This contention wasn't as much last week between Paul and Peter it was between grace and law. Paul was so adamant that the grace of God was sufficient that anything that was added to it detracted from the grace of God. And we talked about this at length last week. The idea of legalism and what happens when legalism kind of, kind of creeps in. Paul wanted to understand that, that uh, he needed to defend the truth, that he was given by revelation from God the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ that he preached. And he didn't want anybody to add anything to that gospel because when you add it to the gospel, it means that the gospel was not adequate. 
But the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was adequate, not inadequate, it was adequate. It will forgive our sins. And that's what Paul wanted to talk about. So in, our, in your bulletin today, as well as on the screen, we're going to be reading verses 17 through 21. And again, the topic of our message today is crucified with Christ. Paul says, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, die to the law that I might live to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. That's the message. Crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So today we see again that Paul, again, not only declares that it's the gospel, it's the gospel that saves us, that we're justified in Christ, but he's, he basically says this, he says, if, if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. What does he mean by that? He means that if he ends up picking up the law, he actually transgressed the law. Because remember, you can never fulfill the law. Anytime the law came up, Jesus always took it to the spiritual, right? He said, if you, you, you say you're not supposed to commit adultery, but I tell you that if you've lusted after somebody, you've already committed adultery. So by picking up the law, you're picking up something that you can never fulfill. So Paul says, don't even go there. Don't go to the law because you'll never be able to fulfill the law. I want, to, I want to pick up on this, wall, this word destroyed. It, it's a great word. You know, Paul says this. Um, Paul says, I, I don't want to go there because I've destroyed the works of the law. Jesus used this word destroyed as well. At least he was claimed to because when Jesus was accused by the, by the Jewish people, by the people that they brought in to give him witness against Jesus, they said, this man said that I was I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, we don't see Jesus saying that, but I can see him saying that because we use that type of word as well. Remember, Jesus was talking about his spiritual temple, that he was going to die, and in three days he would rise again. So that would make a lot of sense. We use that word destroy as well. We really do, even we don't think about what it means, but we use the word. For example, I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Anybody Pittsburgh Steelers fans? I'm a there you go. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Okay, I, I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, they won two Super Bowls while we were living there, so you might as well enjoy the Pittsburgh Steelers. So if the Pittsburgh Steelers are playing the Cleveland Browns, for example, one of their arch enemies, okay, and they beat the Cleveland Browns, whether it's 21 to 7 or 21 to 14 or 21 to 20, I'm going to say the Pittsburgh Steelers destroyed the Cleveland Browns, right? And the reason we say that is because we want to juxtapose the victor over that which is defeated. The victor over that which is defeated. Jesus Christ was the victor. Jesus Christ destroyed the law. He destroyed the law. That, that the law was bad, but he overcome it to such a great extent that there's no reason to even go back there anymore. There's no reason to even think about that. You know, Paul is saying, don't go back. 
You don't want to go back because, you know, if you go back, it's kind of like saying this. It's say, well, you know, it's really nice that Jesus died on the cross for me. I, I really appreciate that, Jesus. Uh, but I think I'm going to go ahead and do a few extra things anyway, just in case what you did was insufficient, right? Just because it might have been insufficient, I'm going to go back to the law. Now, the Jewish people, back then it was maybe be circumcised. But as we talked about last week, there's a lot of things as legalists we can go back to and start relying on, right? I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't go with girls that do. That's what we talked about last week, right? <laughs> we go back and we start thinking that the things we do, the things that we've overcome, somehow make us a big deal with God. God kind of looks down and says, why? Look at that. That's really good. I mean, I kind of like that. No, the things that we do, we do because God loved us first. God loved us first. You know, today's Father's Day. So when I was born into the Bear household and I was a son of my father, I was entitled to all the things of the Bear household, right? We didn't have much, but anything that my dad had, I had as well. Now, there was a few things that my dad had us do as children. Okay, my, my, son, my, my brother and I, there's a couple of things we had to do. For example, one of the things I think I mentioned to you before is that on Saturdays, I had to clean out the garage. And the reason I talk about this is because it left a, a, an impression on me to this day that every single Saturday, I had to clean out the garage. Took everything out of the garage. Once a, well, about once a month, I had to wash it out as well with the hose. Now, my brother, for some reason, didn't have to do it. There was a number of things that I had to do that my brother didn't have to do. Now, that doesn't mean that, God, that, that my father loved me more than my brother or that I was accepted in my household because I was able to clean the garage. I cleaned the garage because my dad asked me to do it. It's the same way, in, this, in the same way, when we're born again into the family of God because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're entitled to all the rights and privileges of being a son of God. We're already accepted. All the good things we do, all the good things we do don't mean that God loves us anymore. It doesn't mean now that we're accepted. No, we were accepted when we were born into the family of God. Okay, so Father's Day is a good example of understanding exactly what Paul is saying. Paul says, don't go back there. Don't go back there. When you add things to it, you detract from the benefit. It's been destroyed. And this is the great harm of legalism. We talked about that last week. All the rules and the regulations, all the law keeping. We try to think that that somehow sets us apart. That somehow makes us different. What makes us different but doesn't make us any better. Doesn't make us any better. So let's go to the key passage. Again, the key passage of Galatians, I said, was verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm going to have to spend some time this morning to talk about what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? I'm glad you asked the question. Okay, the first thing we have to understand that this is a spiritual connection, right? To be crucified means spiritually something's happened to me. Now, Christ died physically on the cross. That was a physical death. We spiritually align ourselves with what that, that event happened. Christ died, I died with Christ spiritually, spiritually. Now, because it's spiritual doesn't mean that it's not important. 
Actually, the spiritual is often more important than the physical. Did you know that? The spiritual is actually more important. The Bible says to look on those things that are eternal. Those things that are eternal are often invisible. You can't even see them. You can't touch them. But they're actually more important than those things that are physical. Our crucifixion with Christ is a spiritual thing that happens to us, but it's profound. It's special. It's unique. It sets us apart. It forgives our sins. Now, Paul says that I've been crucified with Christ, which means that he says I, I, was, I was with Christ, which means it happened at the same time. It's a simultaneous event. Christ died on the cross for our sinfulness. It was our sins that he took it to the cross. It wasn't his sins. Christ was sinless. He took our sins. So we died with him at that time. It was with Christ. To show you why this matters, this word with is important. It's actually not in the Greek. It's actually in the verb. It's a preposition. Okay, A preposition modifies a noun, but it's actually in the, the Greek verb. It's to be crucified with Christ. Now, prepositions, if you know your English grammar and stuff like that, there's a lot of ones we could use. We could use words like about or above or across or against or around or behind or before because a preposition identifies movement or placement, time and place. That's what a preposition does. Paul is saying that we were crucified with Christ. It was at the same time. Scripture does not say I've been crucified after Christ. It wasn't an event that happened at some time in the, in, the, in, the, in the future. It wasn't when you made Jesus the Lord of your life that you were crucified with Christ. No, it goes all the way back to Christ. When were your sins forgiven? It wasn't when you made Christ the Lord of your life. It was at the cross. It was at the cross. That's why we were crucified with Christ. We associate spiritually with what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. When Christ died on the cross, remember, even we've been saying it in the song this morning, the temple, the, the temple curtain was torn in two. Okay, 40 years later, the entire, entire temple would be destroyed. We're crucified. We are not crucified. We are not crucified after Christ. We're crucified with Christ. Let's try another preposition. Paul does not say we are crucified for Christ. And the reason I bring this up is because many people believe that that you're crucified, you go through difficulty, you go through hardship, you go through suffering for Christ. You suffer for Christ. You know, this past Good Friday in Manila, in the Philippines, there were 17 people that were nailed to a cross, nailed to the cross, a reenactment of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, they've done this in other parts of the country, in other parts of the world, but for some reason, it's a big thing in the Philippines. The Philippines is an Asian country. It's the largest Catholic country in Asia, and for some reason, this is a, this is a big thing. Now, they ask people why they do this, and they never say, well, I've been crucified with Christ. See, that's, that's the answer. I've been crucified with Christ, but they're now being crucified for Christ. One person, for example, said that he did it to prevent the eviction of 100 poor people from, from, their, from their homes in Manila. You see, they're trying to do things for Christ in order to get his attention, in order to get a special favor, to get a prayer answered, to be able to be better, to be able to earn their way into heaven. This is legalism. This is just legalism. They're just adding to that law. 
It, you know, it's as if Christ's death on the cross was insufficient, and as a result, they need to add something to it. Um, people will be nailed to the cross. They'll crawl on rough payment. They'll whip themselves, practice of self-flagellations, in order to get God's attention. It's for forgiveness of sins, to fulfill a vow, uh, to have a specific prayer answered, or to receive a vision from God. But Paul says, no, no, no. I was crucified with Christ. I was crucified with, with Christ. It was a one-time event that I now associate with. So in the time that's remaining, let me speak to what it means for us to consider that we have been crucified with Christ. Let's read the same slide again. Verse 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Not by the law. I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, when the Bible speaks of the crucifixion, it speaks of death. It speaks of death. This was the Roman death sentence. This is how Romans sent people to their death. They were very, very good at it. The Romans were very, very good at, at bringing pain into a death sentence. The death on the cross was excruciating. Um, uh, people were, were tied, either tied or nailed to a cross. They were hung half naked. Uh, Jesus, what Jesus endured actually was more brutal than the typical Roman punishment. If you remember, he was flogged ahead of time, okay? He flogged so badly that most likely he would have died just from the flogging, but he didn't die. And flogging is not just a whip. It's the, it's the Roman cat of nine tails, which means that it's got bone and it's got glass and it's got pieces of metal in the whip. So as the Roman soldier would, would flog the back of your back, it would pull the skin right off so that the muscles and the sinews would be actually exposed. And Jesus would have to endure that on the cross and have his back exposed up against that wooden cross. In addition to that, he had a crown put on his head to mock him because people said that he was the king of the Jews. So they said, if you're really the king of the Jews, here's a, here's a crown for you. And they put this crown on his head. Very painful way to, 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 uh, to die. Uh, death on the cross was through asphyxiation. You could no longer breathe anymore because you'd have to lift yourself up on the cross in order to take a breath and then put yourself back down again and exhaustion would eventually take over. They would normally break the bones, break the legs of those on the cross so that they wouldn't be up there for three, four days. They'd, they'd break their, their legs. But Jesus, because of the, the suffering that he had, was already dead. They put a spear in his side and blood and water came out. This is why the scripture tells us these things. It's a, it's a horrible way to die. But it was a one-time event. It was a one-time event that accomplished many, many things. I'm going to go through three things that the death on the cross uh, accomplished. The first thing is that the crucifixion of Jesus brought forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. I think these are in your bulletin as well. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. You know, John the Baptist this was revealed to John the Baptist. There's no way that John the Baptist could have known this except God told him. Because as Jesus started coming towards John the Baptist, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What was John the Baptist talking about? He was talking about the Lamb, the Passover Lamb, that was sacrificed over and over and over again every single Passover for the forgiveness of sins. But it would only last for a year. 
But Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. It, it accomplished our forgiveness of sins. Number two, this is the second thing that the crucifixion of Jesus brought. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. In the book of Hebrews, the author carefully provides the evidence that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. It reminds us that the, the priest would offer the blood of bulls and goats and lambs in the, in the temple. But that blood, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs could never truly take away sin. The high priest would go in and sprinkle the blood of the Passover lamb, okay? But it wasn't his blood. The high priest was using the blood of a, of a lamb. Jesus was both priest as well as the sacrifice. It was the perfect sacrifice. And as a result, it forgave the sin of mankind once and for all. This comes to the third thing. The third thing the crucifixion of Jesus accomplished, that it removed forever our condemnation. And let me tell you, my friends, as a pastor, I can tell you, that's where the rubber hits the wall, the road. There's so many people today that are not living in victory because they don't understand they've been crucified with Christ. They are still living under condemnation. It's like the devil's reminding them of the sins that they committed in the past. A life of regrets, a life of, of shame, of all the things that we are reminded that we've done in the past. But the Bible says that in Christ Jesus, there is no longer any condemnation. Everything that you've done that was wrong was nailed to the cross with Jesus. You've now been crucified with Christ. Paul says, it's no longer I that live, but that Christ lives in me. My past is gone. Jesus has the ability to not only forgive your sins, but completely forget your sins. There's no reason to bring them up again. I've had people come to me as a pastor and they're, and they're tormented by things that happened to them seven years ago, nine years ago, ten years ago. Uh, they, they feel condemned because of things they did as a, as a child. And it's like, oh my goodness, why are you even bringing that up again? You've been forgiven from that. You, you've been forgiven. God has not only forgiven you, but he's even forget, forgotten it. Don't even bring it up anymore. It's gone. It's been nailed to the cross. That's why Paul says that he was crucified with Christ. It's no longer he that lives, but Christ lives in him. And in, uh, in Paul's epistle to the Romans, Paul says this. He says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life sets you free from the law of sin and death. This is why Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. What would, what I mean? Well, oh my goodness, we could, we could spend a week talking about what was finished. There were so many things were done. My sin was finished. Your sin was finished. The law was finished. All the promises of God have been fulfilled now in Jesus Christ. The Messiah that was promised is now there. Not only that, but he died on the cross. This is why, this is why, this is why we say amen. We say amen to when Paul says that, that with, Paul, with Christ I've been, I've been crucified. That's what the death of Christ on the cross accomplished. Here are some things that Scripture tells us about how we're able to understand that Paul says, it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. How do we do that? How do we allow Christ to live in us? How do we do that? Well, there's a number of things, and the Scriptures are, are replete with all kinds of things. I could live 50, 50 or 60 of them. I'll just list a few of them with, for you. Being crucified with Christ means that we are now a new creation. We're something new, something that didn't exist before. 
In 2 Corinthians, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. In the King James language, it says that we've been quickened. You know that word? Quickened. Quickened means that we've come up, made alive. Our, our dead spirit has now been quickened. We're now alive in Christ because we've been crucified with Christ. No longer I that live, but that Christ lives in me. Being crucified with Christ means that we have the ability to, to love like Christ. We have the ability to love like Christ. You know, so many people don't understand that because of Christ and because of the forgiveness of sins, because God first loved us, we now can love him. And because we have the ability to love God, we can love each other in a way that we would be impossible without Christ. We have this love like Christ, this, this agape love. This Greek word agape means it's a selfless, other-centered love. It's not a love that requires something to get. You know, in, in marriage, I told you before, I'm not a real good counselor. The people that came to me for marriage counseling, I told them, I said, I'm a good pastor, but I'm not a very good counselor. And, and one thing they would try to do is they try to have a marriage that was 50-50. Marriages are never 50-50. It's 100-100. You, you, you love without requiring anything in return. You love selflessly. That's an agape love. And you can love like that if Christ lives in you. Being crucified with Christ, that means we have a new assignment. You know, Jesus told Peter, who was a fisherman, he said that from now on you'll be a fisher of men. Uh, you know, now, I, I'm not much of a fisherman, but I also have a new assignment. This great commission that, that Jesus gave to the apostles he said, he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them. That's telling them, telling them, instructing them to obey everything that Jesus has taught us. That's our assignment. It's not just an assignment for Peter to be a fisher of men, but it's our assignment as well. Go tell your neighbors, tell your friends, tell your children, tell your grandchildren, tell your great-grandchildren. That's our assignment. We now, Christ now lives in us, and that's one of our assignments is to tell other people about him. The Gospel of John also tells us this. Uh, by being crucified with Christ means that we're secure in Christ, secure in Christ. Um, I'm a, are you a roller coaster fan? Do you like roller coasters? I only like roller coasters when I feel secure. Okay, I don't mind a roller coaster throwing me around. I don't mind going upside down, backwards. I don't mind that as long as I feel secure. I don't want to be at a seat that I kind of slide back and forth, you know. I want to be secure. In Christ, because you've been crucified with Christ, you're now secure in Christ. Nothing can take you out of his hand. Nothing can take you out of his hand. Uh, Jesus, the Gospel of John says this. It says, he was in the world, that's Jesus, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God brings you in. If God brings you in, nobody's going to take you out. You're secure in Christ. This is why Galatians 2.20 says that we're, if we're crucified with Christ, we no longer live. Christ lives in us. All of this changes us. This is why Paul said, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, the second part is only possible if you understand the first part. 
If you understand that you've been crucified with Christ. You know, there's, for many people, there's a constant battle about who is in control of your life. Who is really in control of your life? And it's so much easier just to let Christ control your life. I mean, that's, that's so much easier. Just, just let, it, let, let Christ control it. Otherwise, the flesh wins out. You're constantly battling between the flesh and the spirit. And if you just let Christ control your life, the flesh can't win. As I wrap this up, I must tell you that Paul tells us this. He's actually telling us this because this is something we actually need to do. Our sins are forgiven at the cross. That's why we're crucified with Christ. But Paul is telling this because there's something we need to do. And that's daily to allow Christ to live in us. You know, Jesus even said that we need to pick up our cross on a daily basis and follow him. That's something we get to do. It's not something we have to do. Listen to me. It's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. By picking up our cross daily and following Christ, it allows Christ to live in us. Christ can live big in us. We surrender our own will, our own desires, in order to, to follow Jesus. Now, here's the thing. It's not that complicated. It really isn't. It, it's, it's just basically an understanding that it no longer matters, okay, who I am as long as I'm in Christ. As long as I'm in Christ. If you're in Christ, your life will reflect that fact. That means you'll be shaped by Him. Your character will take on Christ's character. You've been crucified with Christ, and that's now we live by faith. In Galatians 5.24, Paul says this, All those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, it's almost impossible to lust for somebody when you're praying for them. It's almost impossible to hate somebody when you're praying for them. This is the idea of being in Christ. If you're in Christ and you're putting on Christ, you're, the rest of your life is, is completely different than a person that decides not to do that. Christ desires to be front and center in all our decisions, all of our relationships. If you die to self and allow Jesus to live in you, it'll change you in the most profound ways. Remember I said the spiritual is actually more profound than the physical? If you allow Christ to change you spiritually, that's actually a bigger change than to change you physically. Christ desires to be front and center. If you die to self, it'll change you in profound ways. You'll be a new creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Our daily walk, our daily bread, every single intersection we have with everybody around us, our family, our friends, and our church will be different because of what Christ has accomplished in you. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. So, Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.